Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Flush. I'm your host, Hiva. If it's your first time tuning in, welcome to the show. If you're a regular listener, thanks for coming back. I have a really fun episode planned for you guys. I have some listener questions that I'm going to be answering, but before I can get to that, I have to touch on something highly important to me, and that is chip flavors. Now, this may seem a little bit out of left field, but let me backtrack a little bit. The other day, my boyfriend, who we call Ozzy on the show, if it's your first time listening, yes, he is Australian. No, his name is not Ozzy. It all stemmed from, I guess it all stemmed from when the podcast first started, I was single and I was dating around. And so I had nicknames for every guy. And I would do this even outside of a podcasting scenario. Like my friends never knew the names of guys I was seeing. I would just refer to them as like this guy, that guy, you know, like Egypt, uh, Fifth Avenue guy, um, whatever, various names. Um, Honestly, the most morbid one, just a (laughs) quick tangent. There was a guy I was seeing who I had a different name for. I think it was like Brooklyn guy or something. But then while we were seeing each other, his dad died like completely out of the blue. And it was also really awkward because That was right around when I was like, "Uh, I don't know if I need to like keep hanging out with this guy. But then his dad died. So I was like, well, I certainly can't stop seeing him now. (laughs) So um, then I just like the first time it just happened by accident because I just was trying to distinguish who I was referring to to a friend. So I was like, yeah, you know, the guy whose dad died. And then it kept going. And so like he just kind of became dead dad guy. And I was like, this is awful. Like we have to come up with a different thing to call him. Ooh. And then also a terrible nickname I had for a very different reason. By the way, dead dad guy was like super, super sweet. I have no idea what's going on in his life. We're not like connected on social media, but, um, very nice guy. Very nice guy. The truth is like, I was just, I was into Aussie. That's really what it was. Um, otherwise I would have been like far more into him. We had a a really lovely time together. Um, anyway, moving along, I really, I hope his whole family is doing well. I mean, what a, uh, what an awful situation. Like to lose a parent is always hard. I think to lose a parent completely out of the blue, I mean, I don't know, I'm not speaking from experience, but I would imagine it's a million times harder if it happens out of the blue. So I don't know if you, if you're listening and you've lost a parent, like I'm sending you so much love. I really, I think it's gotta be one of the hardest things in the world. Maybe the only thing harder is to lose a child is my guess. I don't know. Wow. Okay. Moving right along. Um, another kind of morbid and disturbing nickname I once gave a guy by accident. I didn't mean to nickname him this. It just stuck was Ted Bundy because I would get kind of like murdery vibes from him. Like I can't really explain it. I've never had this feeling about anyone else ever in my entire life. I remember on our first date, I was like, wow, he's like really, really nice. Like he seems really, really nice. Um, and then like after we said bye, I was like, there's something and I can't put my finger on it, but like he seems super, super nice. And then the second time we hung out, I was like, he's a really nice guy, like all good things to say. There's a slightly weird vibe that I can't put my finger on, but it's almost like if I'm murdered, you should maybe look into him. Like, I don't know why I can't explain it. I just, I 
kind of get the feeling that like maybe he has killed someone before or like he wouldn't be opposed to the concept of murdering someone. Um, Really can't explain it. And I kept referring to him as Ted Bundy and I kept going out with him because I was like, well, this could make for interesting podcast stories. And then there was a moment where I was like, okay, I don't know why it is that I get this weird vibe from him again. Like, I don't go around thinking people want to murder me. Like, that is the only time I've ever had this thought about a person ever. I'm not saying I'm right. I mean, I certainly hope I'm not right. Good God. But let's say in an offhand chance that I'm right, does the potential for good podcast stories really outweigh the potential for dying? Like, I won't be able to tell the podcast stories if I'm murdered. So maybe, maybe if I'm referring to a guy I'm seeing as Ted Bundy, maybe that's what they call a red flag and maybe I should stop dating him. So... Yeah, Um, moving right along and back to chips. How did we get here? Oh, Ozzy, yes. If it's your first time listening, this must be a very jarring first listen. Um, We refer to my boyfriend as Ozzy. So yeah, that was the nickname he got on our first date. And it's just stuck and I've just never really revealed his name. And it's just kind of fun for me now. I don't know. So yeah, Ozzy and I were having a conversation the other day. And he was looking at, I don't know, some kind of like list, some kind of ranking of chips. And he said that they ranked sour cream and onion chips as the worst chips. And I was like, huh, I don't know that I agree with that. Now, I will say I've been vegan for over five years, so I have not had a lot of chips. I mean, a lot of sour cream and onion chips. I've had a fuck ton of chips. Although I will say like sometimes chips that you would never think have dairy in them have dairy in them, which is not a vibe that I personally appreciate. Like I think plain baked Lay's, which are just phenomenal chips. Like I couldn't tell you why. I don't usually love things that are super plain, but they are just mm, 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 could crush a family size bag in a minute, no question. They have milk powder on them. A lot of chips that you wouldn't think have dairy, have dairy. So that is an annoying thing, but there are plenty of vegan chips. Anyway, I have not had sour cream and onion chips in over five years because as you can imagine, they are not vegan. Um, But I do remember thoroughly enjoying them and I understand that they're kind of like stinky, but like whatever. My favorite chip ever is salt and vinegar. Okay. Anyway, so he said this and I was like, that just doesn't like sound accurate to me. And I was having exceptional trouble thinking of what my actual least favorite flavor of chips is. It might just be kind of plain chips, I guess, other than the baked lays, which again, are top tier, like elite chips. Um, But yeah, I I guess it might be plain. I don't know. Anyway, so I took to Instagram as one would do in this type of scenario. And um, I put in a question box for best flavor of chips and for worst flavor of chips. And the results were somewhat surprising in that the same things kept coming up in both categories, specifically salt and vinegar was the most frequent answer for both best chips and for worst chips. So they are actually like the most divisive chip. And I have to say, I think the best things in life often are the most divisive thing. And I think there's a big lesson to be learned here, and that's to not try to be loved by everyone. Like, I'm pretty sure salt and vinegar chips are going to come out on top, which, like, frankly, salt and vinegar chips are one of the best inventions known to man, truly. Like, I, I mean, I think it's, like, right up there with, you know, modern medicine and, I don't know, like, shelter, <laughs> hospitals, <laughs> I don't know what were other good inventions really can tell you AirPods. I mean, they really fuck things up with AirPods, huh? Like in a good way, fuck things up with AirPods. Like I just, uh, that feeling of headphone wires getting caught in things. I will tell you one thing that used to make me absolutely lose my shit. And I will say like, I had much less control over my nervous system at the time. I had a pretty bad eating disorder and like was probably in law school and just had like a bunch of things going on. 
But like when I would walk in the door carrying like grocery bags or various things, maybe carrying my dog's leash also with, you know, a dog attached to it. And I had my wired headphones in attached to my phone. And then like things would get caught into each other and everything falls apart. I would absolutely lose my shit. Again, not a very regulated nervous system there. And if you are someone who does frequently like lose it over smaller things like that a make sure you're properly nourished because I was not and that makes you very like ready to snap at even the smallest things but the other thing ashwagandha really helps with that ashwagandha is an ayurvedic herb it's um an adaptogen it kind of like adapts to your body's needs it's like really good at conditioning your body's stress response so yeah would recommend that Moving right along <laughs> back to chips. I think salt and vinegar is just like so, so good. Um, but yeah, it's it's just when you try to be loved by everyone, you kind of excel at nothing. And this is really a lesson I'm trying to teach myself because not to say that I'm loved by anyone at all, but I do have such a fear of being disliked and I do think it kind of keeps me small. And you know, in the world that we're living in, where every industry is so saturated, a very big marketing lesson, and I believe there's a man named Seth Godin, who's kind of the king of this, is to find your smallest viable audience. So you don't want to appease to the masses. You want to differentiate yourself and find the smallest viable audience that could make you keep going. And they'll be like the most loyal, supportive, and they'll spread the word, but you don't want to appeal to the masses. You want to appeal to the smallest viable audience. And that's what salt and vinegar does. And that's why it's so divisive. And that's why it's just like king of chips. Um, also, uh, if you're into salt and vinegar chips, I should add, um, I think the best salt and vinegar chips are kettle brand salt and vinegar chips. I've tried a million different types of salt and vinegar chips because, um, I, you know, I try to find ones that are a bit healthier. Probably the healthiest I found are the Siete Foods salt, like salt and vinegar with a touch of serrano pepper. They are good. They're just not vinegary enough for me. So if you like salt and vinegar chips and you don't like them to be that vinegary, I do recommend those. And they have like the serrano pepper touch so that they're a little bit spicy, which is really beautiful. And it's such a nice flavor combination. They just are not vinegary enough for me. I want them as vinegary as possible. Another good one are the, um, Thrive Market salt and vinegar cooked in avocado oil. Again, way healthier, just not vinegary enough for me. But, you know, if you want the milder, great option for you. They're healthier, like go off, succeed. What is not good is the Kettle brand organic salt and vinegar. Nope. They're kind of like sweet in a weird way. They're gross. I do not like them. The traditional salt and vinegar from Kettle Brand is probably the best. I do remember I used to really like the Trader Joe's kettle cooked salt and vinegar. However, I have not had them many in many years, and I actually think they might not be vegan. I will double check, and if they are vegan, I will go and buy them and do a blind test, test, taste test and report back next week because, you know, that's what everyone comes to this podcast for. It's for chip flavors. Um, also, I love how last week I went on a deep dive of my colonic and me just like shitting everywhere, <laughs> and this week it's all about chip flavors. You just, you know, never know what you're going to get, honestly. I just like to, you know, keep you on your toes. Um, but yeah, so I think those are probably the two best. Again, if they don't have milk powder or slush, if they are vegan, I will taste the Trader Joe's ones and report back on which of those two is better. Um, if they are not vegan, then, you know, really can't help you. You might have to figure out for yourself. Um, but also if you like salt and vinegar chips, I have two other recommendations for you. Number one, Wonderful Pistachios makes um, salt and vinegar flavored pistachios. They're uh, shelled, so you can just grab them and eat them on the go. They're beautiful, fantastic. If you like salt and vinegar anything, you'll like them. The salt and vinegar flavor is milder. Um, I do think it's like through no fault of Wonderful Pistachios. I think it's just that pistachios have such an overpowering flavor that the salt and vinegar doesn't shine as high as it does 
than, you know, the cattle brand salt and vinegar chips, but they are beautiful, fantastic, like emphatically recommend them. Very, very nice. I can't speak to the other flavors, but salt and vinegar is very good. And then the other thing is something we do in Persian culture, and it's really, really nice. Dip salt and vinegar chips into plain tart yogurt. Now, note what I said, a plain tart yogurt, not the weird shit that people eat in America and call yogurt, which is all like fruity and sweet and like basically a fucking dessert. I'm talking about real yogurt that's been fermented that has no sugar added. So think like a Greek yogurt or something you would buy from an ethnic store. Or if you're vegan, um, I really like a nicely fermented coconut yogurt. Those tend to do really well. Um, A few brands that I like uh, with no affiliation or sponsorship, although if they wanted to pay me, I would fucking down. Anita's is excellent. Can't find it a whole lot of places. Coco June is great. Harmless Harvest is great, but it's like super expensive and it's a whole thing. There's a reason why it's so expensive, but might not be ideal for this type of use. Um, yeah, those are probably my favorite. Um, I'm trying to think of the, if there's anything else. Coco June, what's that other one? Koyo. Koyo is pretty good too. But yeah, I'd recommend those types of yogurts, but just read the ingredients. You want minimal ingredients. You want actual bacteria in there. So yeah, and the coconut yogurt doesn't really taste coconutty because when it ferments, that coconutty flavor leaves and it just tastes like tangy, properly fermented thick yogurt. So yeah, just dipping salt and vinegar chips into that is 10 out of 10. I mean, it's some kind of like fucking magic. It's so good. Moving right along. Oh, I did get a bunch of DMs from people saying that dill pickle flavored chips are good. I have not tried them. Some of my other favorite chips that I want to get into now. Kettle brand Chuffles truffle salt. They are crinkle cut. They are so fucking good. Kettle brand cracked pepper and salt, again, are crinkle cut, and they are so, so, so good. Just like really simple, really classic, really hit the spot. Um, Siete Foods nacho flavor tortilla chips, hands down my favorite tortilla chips. I'm not a big tortilla chip kind of girly, not really my favorite thing, but I really, really, really fuck with these. Um, they are not made from corn. They're like paleo and vegan and healthy. So they're made from, um, cassava flour, which is a type of root vegetable flour. So they're, you know, arguably better for you depending on what school of thought you come from. I'm not here to get into that, but they are very, very good. I've also made my own tortilla chips with tahini, you know, the chili lime salt. So just like spray with a little avocado oil, generously seasoned with tahini, put in the air fryer. Excellent. Um, I really like ketchup flavored chips. If you're not in the United States, can't really find them here so much, but they are prevalent everywhere else. I think they're really good. Now, they were a frequent answer in the worst chip flavors. So again, probably kind of a divisive thing. Although I have to say they didn't really appear too much in the best chip flavors. So maybe not divisive, maybe just universally hated. I'm not sure. But I really, really fuck with them. Although I have to say, maybe my love for ketchup flavored chips really goes back to my undying devotion for tomatoes, which are just like the best thing that has ever existed. Like that is the best invention, although we didn't invent them. I guess we found them. I don't know. How did tomatoes come about? So many questions. Um, I, I mean... Uh, is there anything better than slicing into a perfectly ripe tomato? And the things that you can do with tomatoes, I mean, the places they can go, like the ways, the different ways that you can dress them up and dress them down. Mm, mm, nothing better than tomato. And we're in the middle of tomato season and my entire apartment is flooded with tomatoes and I would have it no other way, frankly. <sighs> okay, moving right along. Uh, what else is good? Oh, Again, by Kettle Brand, the Korean barbecue chips. Now, I used to be obsessed with their Thai chili flavor, which was very good. But I have to say, Korean barbecue kind of hits a similar spot, and they're better. They're really fucking good. I've had them side by side, so I can comment. Um, 
Now, sour cream and onion and sour cream and cheddar were both divisive flavors in that they both frequently appeared in the best flavor and in the worst flavor category. I frankly don't understand because I think they're really, really good. Obviously, I've not had them in five plus years um, because they are no shocker not to vegan, but I do really like them. I particularly like sour cream and cheddar ruffles especially when they're baked. So good. I remember the law school vending machine had them and um, I'd never eat them at law school because um, when I was in law school, I had an eating disorder. And part of it was that I just never ate in front of people. Um, Really couldn't tell you why. I mean, we could do like a four hour deep dive into it, but we're in the middle of talking about chips. So I'm just going to move on for now, but I would get them when I was about to leave school along with a Twix bar and then I'd walk home and I'd enjoy them in peace in my bed at the end of the night because I only ate in bed at the time too. Really, we could just spend so much time dissecting the particularities of my personal eating disorder, but we're just going to move right along. Is there anything else that I have not mentioned? I actually think that's all. Yeah. Wow. I thought I had so much more to say on this topic, but Seriously, try out all of the flavors that I mentioned. I know it's heavy on Kettle brand, but I'm just going to say it. I think they're really doing things right. (sighs) Um, One more thing on food before we move on to like normal things for this podcast. You have to try this combination and everything bagel. I used the um, Need Love gluten-free sourdough, but use whatever everything bagel that you have access to, cream cheese. I used vegan cream cheese. I emphatically recommend Monty's. Um, but if you don't have access to Monty's, Kite Hill is also quite good. Cream cheese, jalapeno, a little bit of scallion or chives if you want, avocado, arugula, a splash of lemon. Eat it open-faced, not as a sandwich. 10 out of 10 recommend. Okay, that's it on food. If you can't tell, I'm like kind of hungry, I guess, while recording. Um, So now that we're done with that 20 minutes, we're going to move right along. So I mentioned last week that I'm no longer doing Brazilian waxes and I got my first laser done. Um, It's much, much better. It does hurt like a tiny bit still. It kind of feels like a rubber band snapping against your skin. But I have to say, I don't understand because like, like, so I shaved before I went, which I was told you had to do. And so she does the laser. And then the next day I have like stubble, like the hair is growing back. I thought it was going to be hairless for a while. Like it takes a while to grow back, but apparently that's not the case. Like, can anyone talk to me about this? Because I'm getting exceptionally little information about laser hair removal. And I'm like super, super confused. Um, Also the machine that they used has like kind of like an air conditioner attached to it that just blows out cool air, which I understand the laser is hot. So it's like offsetting that, but it's really fucking cold. And when she's going like in like your like labia, so she knows she's doing the labia majora, the outside part that has hair growing out, but your labia minora is there, you know, like the flappy parts (laughs) and it's all like wet and cold. It was like absolute torture, but still so much better than getting the hair ripped out. And I will never do that again. And it's beyond me why I did it for close to a year. Never again. Done with that. (sighs) Okay, moving along. Um, I got my period a couple days ago. And um, I was late for this period. And it was the first time I've been late (sighs) since, like really since I started getting my period regularly again after eating disorder. And I mean, when I first started getting my period, it was like, once every three to four to five to six months. And then it became more and more frequent until I actually started getting it like every month. And ever since I've been getting it every month, though, I've been super, super, super regular. So, I mean, I was just a few days late, but it did freak me out, even though I do track my cycle. And I know for a fact that we did not have sex around when I was ovulating, but I still freaked out and I took a pregnancy test and it was negative and then I got my period. But this is why I'm sharing it. Almost all of my friends have been late this cycle. Like I got four different texts from four different people freaking out that they were pregnant and they, because they were like a week late. 
And I was like, okay, well, if you're that late, a pregnancy test would reliably show if you are pregnant. So if you've taken a negative pregnancy test, you really don't need to worry. I mean, you can take a second one just to be sure, but like false negatives generally happen when it's too early to tell. So, you know, just a bit of trivia, but yeah, everyone was late and I thought it was interesting. And I wonder if it's because we're kind of going through a period of collective grief and anxiety in the world and, you know, grief and anxiety certainly can mess with your cycle. So if you are someone who has also had your cycle altered in some way, this cycle, like DM me because I just find it fascinating that so many of us are going through the same thing. Um, But yeah, very, very interesting. And also there's this like Persian kind of like old wives tale-y type thing. They say um, if you're waiting for your period and it's late, one of the things that you can do to induce it is to eat tons of honey, not like a little bit, but just like by the spoonful down it. Can't speak to it. Never tried it, but my mom swears by it. Um, So yeah, there's that. So if you are a person who menstruates, something to keep in mind. Moving right along. Ozzy is out of town this week. And, um, you know, when you have been together for a while and you're kind of past that honeymoon stage and things are like a lot more stable and you've lived together and you're constantly around each other, it is kind of fun when you get forced separation because you get a chance to miss them again. And it's like, ooh, like, ooh, like I do miss him. Like, ooh, I can't wait to see him. And you kind of want to like step up your game a little bit. Like I'm like, okay, well, when he comes back, maybe I can not live in his torn up t-shirts and bike shorts. Like maybe I can put on an outfit. Maybe I can shower. (laughs) Maybe I can put just a modicum amount of effort into my appearance. I don't know. But also he does so much around the house and it really like becomes noticeable when he's gone. Cause I'm like, Oh, like I have to prepare Sam, Sam's my dog's medicine. And like, I have to do the dishes and I have to do all these things. Um, so that's cool because I always remember the number one thing I said that I wanted in a part in a partner is an actual partner, like someone who does stuff around the house, who someone who like really can share the burden of life with me, like be a true partner, like we get shit done together. And it's kind of cool when I mean, I do notice it and appreciate it when he is here, but when he's gone, it obviously like hits me in the face more and, you know, just something to be grateful for. But also while he's gone, I'm going to watch so much Bravo because he doesn't like love Bravo. I mean, (laughs) he just doesn't like it at all, really. I mean, he's not judgmental. And I have to say, I am proud of myself because I used to be such a pick me girl and like was so like, I remember I watched Bravo when I first um, finished college and then I started dating this guy and I just like stopped watching and I was very like, no, I only like South Park and like football and playing Call of Duty and all these like what I thought of in my head as being like kind of like boyish interests because I just really wanted to like be one of the guys and be like a quote-unquote cool girl and it took so much shadow work for me to be like no actually I like Bravo and that's okay um so yeah the fact that I can still like own that I like this thing that he thinks is like cringe and terrible makes me very proud of myself but also I do try to not like terrorize him with too much Bravo so I've been saving all of well not all of but I've been saving a lot of my Bravo shows for this week while he's gone so that I can just binge it all week and I'm super excited about that and On that note, I'm going to transition into the TV recs for the week. If you have not watched Below Deck Med, I 10 out of 10 recommend it. And if you're not really like a Bravo TV kind of person, it's different from other reality shows. I think like the housewives and reality shows like that are kind of premised on aspirational wealth and really bad behavior below deck med is very different it's um 
It's set on a yacht that like a charter yacht. And so it follows the people who work the yacht. That's why it's below deck. So it's the people who work the interior and the people who uh, work the deck and um, and the chef, obviously. And so they're not like these super wealthy people like they're out here doing like manual labor on a yacht for super wealthy people. But it's just like the colors are stunning. I mean, like the location, the setting, the film editing is absolutely beautiful. And it's just, it's very interesting because it's these young people who live together on a yacht in very tight quarters and work together. And then in between each charter guest, they'll go out and drink and, you know, get hammered and act super irresponsibly or like get in stupid fights. But it's so understandable why they would get in these fights because they're in this like very cramped, awkward situation. But they are actual yachties, so it does feel a lot more real than a lot of reality shows. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just really enjoy it. And if you don't like traditional reality TV, you actually might get into this. I mean, it is the number one show on Bravo and I think it's for a reason. And also the showrunner is Persian and, you know, we just like love to support minorities in television. So, and she's Emmy nominated by the way, and she's a lesbian. So we love to support LGBTQ plus minorities. Um, moving right along. I just started Better Call Saul. I understand that I'm seven years late, but if you watched Breaking Bad and you didn't watch Better Call Saul, maybe because spinoffs traditionally are not that good, I'm here to tell you it's actually really fucking good. Check it out. I also am thinking about starting Love Island UK, but honestly, I have so much planned for this week. Like I have Southern Charm saved up. I even even started Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip ex-wives club or whatever the one that's at dorinda's house bluestone manor so excited to get into that um i have some real housewives of beverly hills to watch which honestly i'm like not that into anymore never thought i'd see the day come but uh, it's just kind of boring me now but i'm you know i'm kind of a loyal bitch so i will watch it i still haven't finished the summer i turned pretty which was so fantastic i've just been saving it for when aussie's gone um, yeah, I don't know. I think I have other things. Oh, 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 Abbott Elementary is so good. It's kind of like The Office or Parks and Rec, like that type of vibe mockumentary, but it's sat in a, at an elementary school. I've only seen like one or two episodes, but I really liked it. Might resume that. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of TV to watch, but that actually doesn't sound like that much. So maybe I will start Love Island UK. I hear the UK version is way better than US. Okay, moving right along to our actual topic of the week, and that is listener Q&A, my favorite types of episodes to do. Question number one. I don't know if I'm going to, I've been rambling for so long. I don't know if I'm going to get through all these. Maybe I will. We'll see. Okay. Question number one. I've heard you talk about both unfollowing and muting people in various ways and times before. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why I think that's funny. You have previously said you would block someone if they unfollowed you, but I've also heard you advocate for unfollowing and muting. Where do you stand today? Okay, I understand the first sentence now. Um, Number one, I did not say the thing about blocking. Um, It was my former co-host. I didn't disagree with her. Um, I will say at the time when that was said, I would be a lot more offended about people unfollowing me. I had an app on my phone where I could see when people unfollowed me and I would just unfollow them back. I would not block them. Um, I have since deleted that app and I just like, really don't give a shit about who follows what on Instagram anymore. Like I'm so checked out of it and I live a much freer life as a result. Um, I would highly recommend if you have an app that shows you when people unfollow you, if you're checking these things frequently to just try to have more ease and peace with it, it really makes a difference. I also recommend tangentially to not check who is looking at your stories. Again, it's so freeing to turn off the number of likes. I mean, my mental health is so much better ever since I've done all of these things. Um, In general, I would recommend to do what's right for you. If you are following someone and they're constantly popping up on your feed and their presence on your feed is making you feel some kind of way, I usually recommend muting them. Here is why I recommend muting them. 
A, it's an option. It's an option that exists. B, you might change your mind later. I just generally advocate against being rash. C, and this is really the most important thing, why do you want to unfollow? Because to me, the only difference between unfollowing someone and muting someone is that when you unfollow someone, that person has the potential to find out. Whereas if you mute them, they would never, ever know. But in effect, it's the same thing because if you mute them, you'll never see their shit again until you unmute them should you choose to do that, which I've done all the time. Sometimes I just mute people just because like I'm getting so much of their stuff and I follow like a thousand other people. And so I just want to give space for other people and then I'll unmute them later. Sometimes they're triggering me for a bit, so I mute them. And then I unmute them. But yeah, when you unfollow someone, especially if it's someone that you know, I mean, if it's someone you don't know at all, it's just some random influencer, by all means, unfollow them. You can follow them again later. Who cares? But if it's someone that you know, if you're unfollowing them, you're generally trying to send some kind of message to them. And if you're kind of like defensive when I say that, take a look internal and just answer why would you unfollow them versus mute them? Because that's the only reason I can come up with is like you're hoping that they'll see that you unfollow them. Why are you trying to send that message? Like what like are you hoping to gain out of this? Are you trying to get their attention? Is there something unresolved there? Like it just it feels like there's something more to it. And I would always recommend doing the internal work before you do anything external. And for that, I would actually listen to last episode, episode 87, because it is kind of about these interpersonal conflicts, especially when you don't know what to do. I don't know. I think there's like something so cool about being like so secure with yourself that you're not playing these kinds of games of like unfollowing and blocking and like checking this and checking that and just being secure with yourself. So yeah, uh, but I think there's nothing wrong with muting people. I think you should mute freely. And at the same time, I think you should look into why it is that this person is bothering you in your in the first place because it's an opportunity for you to grow. But I would care a lot less about what the other person thinks. I just, if you're trying to send a message by unfollowing, I think that's something worth looking into because essentially we're here to grow, right? That's what we're doing here. And why pass up this opportunity for growth? Moving on, question number two. It seems from various things you've said that you had pretty abusive parents growing up, yet you seem to have a good relationship with them now. How? Okay, so I've actually gotten this question or variations of this question a lot. And, um, you know, for the longest time, I really tiptoed around things from my childhood. But yeah, I have said a few things, um, especially recently, that do seem to indicate that there was like some abuse in the house. Um, Obviously, like, you know, it was like, there was no like sexual abuse. Um, it wasn't as certainly as bad as it could be. Like my parents did the best that they could, as I think everyone does, but you know, everyone acts on their own trauma. And that's something from doing so much work on myself that I've really learned. People are doing the best that they can with their given circumstances. Now, my parents weren't ideal, but that's because they also have their own childhood trauma. And unlike me, they really did not have the tools and the resources to get the type of help that I've been able to get. You know, therapy wasn't normalized in their childhood youth growing up really at any point into their lives until like now they're, you know, probably not going to go to therapy now. So like, it's a whole different thing. Plus like all that shit, it's already happened. Um, ah, what else? So I, I really do have a lot of compassion for them. Um, and oh, also let me say like, I am by no means a poster child of this. Like when I see them, it's so often that I get really triggered and like really, really revert. I think it's only the very last time that I saw them that I was like really able to hold my cool the entire time. And it's funny because that was like a real intention of mine for this year. I was like, I want to get to the point where I can be around them and they can act as crazy as they want to act. And I am unaffected. And that's what it was like the last time I saw them. 
problems. But, you know, I've done a ton of internal work. And through that process, I have a ton of compassion for my parents. That doesn't mean that they don't continue to trigger me because they do. But I also... I understand it is what it is. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who've cut out their parents for honestly far less than the shit that I've dealt with. And I don't really like I just don't want to do that because at the end of the day, they are my parents. And in many ways, they were excellent parents, while in many ways they were truly atrocious parents. And so I really do have a lot of love for all the things that they did do right. And I do try to keep those in mind while also remembering that I'm no longer a powerless child. I'm like a grown ass adult and I can put in the types of boundaries to protect myself now. So that involves for me not seeing them very often. That's the truth. I really don't see them very often. I only talk to them when they're in a good mood. As soon as I get the vibe that they're in a bad mood, I just don't call them for a while until they're in a good mood again. Like I exercise all these boundaries so that I tend to not be around it. And when I see them, I just have very, very, very strong energetic boundaries to try to not be affected. But like I said, I'm not excellent at it. The most recent time I saw them was the best I was at it. I am seeing them next weekend so I can report back on how it goes. But I really plan to just have strong boundaries, but really it all comes back down to like compassion. And when you do the inner child work, you understand that they have their own inner child issues and that's where they're coming from. So yeah, I mean, I really like ever since doing so much deep inner work, I have so much compassion for not just my parents, but like for everyone. Like I remember watching the Ted Bundy documentary with a friend and he was so horrified. And I was like pretty much in tears because I felt so bad for Ted Bundy. And he was like, what? And I was like, it's obviously not like there's no way that he just woke up one day and he was like, you know what would be fun if I just go like murder a bunch of ladies? Like, I think that would be a fun thing for me to to do today to just become like ostracized from society. No, there was like obviously something very, very wrong with him. Like if he had the choice, don't you think he would have chosen to be a well adjusted member of society of course he would have chosen that but he just felt powerless over this compulsion and you know what we do with that and how we treat it etc I don't know that's not a question for me but we can have compassion for these quote-unquote bad people because they're hurt also like only hurt people hurt people and I think like now that we're adults and we're no longer helpless, we obviously our number one priority is to ourselves and to take care of ourselves and to have these boundaries. But while having these boundaries, we can have compassion for people and try to benefit from the good of them and like mesh with the good of them while having boundaries against the bad, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, um, Okay, question number three. Hello from a straight male listener. I know I'm not in your target demo, but I really enjoy the podcast. I have a question about dating and money. I was raised to always pay for a woman in dating, but with inflation and rising prices, it's getting harder to do this. I'm single and actively dating. I'm on apps, but I don't want to go broke in the process. Um, first of all, hello. Um, my target demo is anyone, regardless of gender and sexual orientation, who wants to work on themselves, who, you know, wants to be a better version of themselves and who wants to be entertained in the process. Um, I do know I kind of tend to speak as though I'm speaking to women often, but And that's really just because I know more women who fall into that category, but I know there are actually plenty of male listeners and love you guys. Um, So yeah, it's, it's not, it's for all genders. Um, So yeah. And I, I want to try to be better about that actually. Um, Okay. So number one, I will say as much as I'm a big feminist, I am a fan of uh, men dating, uh, men paying for women on a first date, specifically on a first date or like the first couple, three, four dates. 
because A, there's a gender wage gap, B, because women traditionally have a higher cost of getting ready. So even if the man pays for the actual date, women usually are paying more. Women's clothes cost more. Women are societally expected to like wear makeup or do facials or like get manicures or all these various things. And while all of these things don't necessarily apply to every single woman, by and large, women have higher expenses. The pink tax, we you know, like it, it, it just tends to be the case. So I do think it's like only fair that men pay for the first, first date, first couple of dates, et cetera. After that, I really think like people should break it up either evenly or by the person who earns more, frankly, like I think once you're in a full-fledged relationship, I think it's fair that you kind of split rent by you know, uh, in accordance with how much you're respectively earning. I think that's really fair. Um, now back to early dating. Uh, even though in my experiences, I liked men to pay for me in early dating. I also have zero expectations of that to be a fancy thing. In fact, when I was picking dates for a first date, I always picked the date, uh, the bar at the corner of my block. Um, it's like a dive bar, pretty cheap. Uh, unless, you know, the person I was talking to suggested something else. Um, so yeah, number one thing I would recommend for you. And also like inflation is very real right now rising prices is a very, very real thing. And I actually really do empathize for your situation. And so I have two recommendations. Number one, since you said you're on date uh, on apps, I would recommend doing a screener phone date before you take someone out in real life. So like do like a FaceTime call, or I think the apps actually have, um, video chat integrated within their platforms. Now I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that's the case. So yeah, I would recommend doing a, um, video chat screener. And what's funny, um, my friend Caitlin Bebb, who is a dating coach has been recommending this for years, even pre pandemic. She's always recommended this. And For your situation specifically, I think it's genius because you get so much from a FaceTime or even just a regular phone conversation. Like you hear their voice, you get like an idea of cadence and stuff. And that can actually help you screen out some people before you even go out in the first place. So that's the number one thing I'd recommend for you. The number two is to do free or cheap first dates. Like you, A, never, ever, ever, in my opinion, even if you are like super, super rich, take people out on a first date to like a really nice place. Like that, you don't even know them yet. Like I just think that's so unnecessary and Like I would never expect someone to do that. And frankly, even if they did, it's hard to be flattered by that because they don't even know you yet. So it's clearly just something they're doing for everyone and not specific to you. Save that stuff for when you actually really, really know this person and really, really like them. Now, for whoever is paying for first dates, I recommend doing things like hiking, a picnic in the park, um, go like kayaking. I mean, you know, get a feel for what they're open to, but there are so many like free or near free things to do. Um, like really beautiful, like this time of year, just grab a picnic blanket and a bottle of wine. It's going to be so much cheaper than, you know, taking them out anywhere, even to a dive bar or just like go for a simple walk, you know, like you can do stuff like that for the first few dates until you really got a vibe that this is someone you actually want to invest more time and money into. So yeah, totally valid question. I really feel for where you're coming from. Please um, try these things out and report back how it goes. (sighs) Okay. Question number four. I absolutely... I absolutely loved last episode and the guided meditation idea. I have a sibling that I have so much drama with, and I really want to try talking to her in my meditation and getting to the root because talking to her when awake has never worked. But I'm afraid of the ocean and picturing myself floating on water really freaks me out. How else can I do it? 
Okay. Um, <laughs> I did say that there were other ways that you can kind of drift off into that meditative state, but I didn't really get much deeper than that. And honestly, what I would recommend is close your eyes and picture what to you feels like a safe place. This is a tactic from um, cognitive behavioral therapy. You're supposed to find a safe space that you can anchor yourself to. So close your eyes and picture your safe place. My safe place I can share if you want is um, a house. I picture it kind of in Australia, like Oceanside, with a big backyard and a pool, maybe an infinity pool. I don't know. It kind of changes. And my dog is there and I'm just like outside in the backyard in the pool. And that feels safe to me, but like, it can be whatever it can be in nature. It can be indoors. It can be a cave. It can be any number of things, but just picture your safe place and anchoring yourself in your safe place. Um, other things that I've heard people try or have heard work well, um, Number one is uh, picturing yourself inside the womb. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I know that like kind of makes a lot of people feel safe. And actually the whole premise of floating in water kind of comes from um, duplicating that womb-like feeling. I think that's why it feels soothing to some people because, um, you know, that's probably like the last time we felt fucking safe and then we came out into this world and it's all just been a shit show since then. Uh, okay. Um Another thing I you could try is picture yourself climbing down a ladder into a cave, like into complete darkness. That kind of like symbolizes climbing into the depths of your mind, um, like parachuting, floating in air, flying, uh, you know, just like laying in dirt, grounding, being in the jungle, being indoors, being in bed, being under covers, being in a bathtub any of these things. Another thing that's actually completely different is close your eyes and count backwards from 200, counting each digit. So 200199198, things like that. Um, so yeah, any of those tr things, try it out, you know, report back how it goes. Question number five, I'm actually doing like really great time on these. I've heard people say that if you have anxious attachment, you should not initially be attracted to someone, otherwise they're avoidant attachment, but should instead let attraction build. Is this true? Um, not necessarily. I mean, okay, I understand what you're referring to. There's this thing in attachment theory where... They say that, you know, if you're initially or they say if you have an anxious attachment style, you tend to be drawn to people with avoidant attachment style. Also, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's an episode from like a couple months ago that has something about attachment styles in the title. Go back and listen to that and then you can come back to listen to this. But yeah, if you have anxious attachment style, which means you're kind of like preoccupied with relationships. I mean, it means a lot of other things, but I'm just summarizing it in a few words. Um, you tend to be drawn to people with avoidant attachment style. Those are people who are like hyper independent and not that interested in relationships. Um, and it becomes this kind of like toxic cycle, like they're, you know, lackadaisical nature is kind of addictive to people with attach, uh, anxious attachment style. And they say that when you meet someone with a secure attachment, it can often feel boring because you're used to the drama and kind of addicted to the drama. So that's where that comes from. Um, I do think that if you have anxious attachment style and let's say you go out on a date with someone and you're not initially like, oh my God, I want to marry this person, give it a few more dates. That I would recommend. But I am not saying that if you're initially attracted to someone, that necessarily means that they have avoidant attachment or that this is going to be a toxic scenario. I know plenty of relationships where people were initially attracted to each other and they're doing just fine. One of my best friends is currently engaged to a person who, when she met that person the first time, she kind of instantly was like, I think this is my person. Now, I'm not sure what my friend's attachment style is, nor do I know what my friend's 
Beyonce's attachment style is. So I really can't like speak to that at that depth. But, you know, these things do happen. In general, you know, statistically speaking, slow burning relationships tend to go the distance more than relationships where you're overly obsessed in the beginning. But I think it's more the inverse that like if you're not initially like, oh, my God, this person is everything. Don't write them off. You know, keep going out with them. Attraction often builds very slowly, especially like secure attachment often builds very slowly. That's all that that is. But like being initially attracted to someone does not mean that that's necessarily a red flag. Now, if you are like really moving at a very fast pace in a relationship very in the very beginning, I'm not saying that's necessarily problematic. Again, there are plenty of relationships where that happens and everything turns out fine, but statistically it's not the best sign. So I would just take a minute and look at like why you feel the need to move things this quickly. And same with the other person, because if things are moving really quickly, you're both allowing that to happen. And so, you know, I would maybe try to build in some boundaries so that you can take it a hair slower, but no, not necessarily. Question number six, I really want to start posting on TikTok or Instagram, but I'm afraid. Do you have any tips for how to push through the fear? Love this question. Um, I would recommend not quote unquote pushing through the fear so much and actually getting to the bottom of what the fear actually is. And a really good clue or a place to look is look at where you're judging other people. And I actually have a really good example of this. I was listening to a podcast recently where the guest is um, kind of like a big person on TikTok and she's making a ton of money from it. And when I started listening, she has a very animated voice very animated. Um, one could use the word theatrical. In fact, it's just, it's, it's going all over the place, high octaves, low octaves. I mean, it's, 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 it's a very animated voice. (laughs) And I was listening to it and I found myself, I turned it off after a while. I did resume it later, but in my initial listen, I turned it off after a while and I was like, oh my God, like, why is she being so weird? Why can't she just like be normal? Like it's just too much. And then I had this moment where I was like, huh, that judgment, I'm willing to bet so much money. Someone has said some version of that to me in childhood. And that's why I'm now judging her for this. Like that's probably what's going on. So a good place to often check is where you're judging other people, because that's often a clue as to like something that's happened in childhood where like someone judged you for the same thing. And that's why you're now so afraid. Um, even if there is no judgment, there still is there. It's likely that there's something beneath this fear. Try some journaling, journaling, try some meditation. Like maybe when you're on a hike or like doing the dishes or doing something that feels very routine for you, or you can journal, answer these questions. What are your fears? What are you afraid that people who you know will think of you? Why? What's the root of these fears? So like either freehand journal or just try to answer these questions to yourself when you're in a meditative state, when you're washing dishes, when you're walking, whatever kind of puts you in a bit of a trance that like feels very routine. Once you kind of get to the root, I would start healing that. Um, I like I would start visualizing yourself actually taking action, like, you know, posting, doing these things. And also, I will say it is very, very normal to be afraid of putting yourself out there. I remember when I first started posting on TikTok, like I would almost like throw my phone off out the window as soon as I would post something because I would get such intense cringe. Um, so like really let go of your need for perfection. Your first few posts aren't going to be that great relative to once you've been posting for a while, it's just things get better with practice. When I look at my first few food posts, I'm like, why did I post that? That's so stupid. But like that, it, it you just improve over time. It is what it is. So, you know, once you kind of do a bit of the internal digging, which I still do recommend after that, just try to let it go and set it, set a goal and start to meet it. Like I actually, um, set a goal recently to post on TikTok three times a day. It's 
pretty tragic, honestly. Like, I'm not at all proud of the work I'm doing on TikTok, but I just kind of want to get over that fear and just push myself to do it. And, you know, like I have done a ton of the internal work, so I kind of know what's going on beneath there and I have addressed it to a certain degree. Obviously, I'm sure there's more to get to, but I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, okay, like I've done that internal work. I've done those initial steps. This is now a goal that I want to try to meet. So yeah, that's kind of my formula for this. Question number seven. This is the second to last question. I found your podcast because I've been trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Oof. I've been dating my boyfriend for a few months now, and I really think he's the one, but I can't stop picking fights with him. I'm terrified he's going to leave me. The last time he said was the last time he would put up with it. Am I reading that right? The last time he said was the last time he would put up. Oh, like the last time you picked a fight, I'm guessing, is he said would be the last time he'd put up with it. What do I do? Okay. Um, not surprisingly, <laughs> my answer is get to the bottom of what's beneath this. Like, why are you picking these fights? Now, I have done a ton of fight picking in relationships, and I can tell you the various reasons why I have picked fights in relationships. Number one, I've modeled behavior that I saw in childhood. Now, the way that I'd recommend addressing that is doing inner child work and reparenting work. Um, number two, I had unmet needs in relationships that I was stifling. So I was like trying to act very needless and wantless in the relationship. And then once in a while it would bubble up and it would come up in an explosive way. Often when I'd been drinking and I would just pick fights, that is classic codependent behavior. If you, if that resonates with you, I'd really recommend codependency work. Um, Another thing was like a fear of abandonment, like basically my fear of like being abandoned for no reason or like not knowing the reason why someone's breaking up with me was so great that I would just try to push them away so that when they inevitably do leave me, I at least knew why they were leaving me and I wasn't left wondering. So if that resonates with you, I would get to the root of where the abandonment wound is from and heal that. Um, and the last reason I can think of why I picked fights is that deep down, I didn't actually want to be with this person and I wanted to push them away. And I would say that this was probably the most common reason why I was picking fights, although it was often coupled with some of the other reasons. Now, these aren't the only possible reasons why people pick fights. There are so many. I just know I personally have experience with these, and I think they're very, very common. Again, I would get to the bottom of why it is that you're picking fights. I would actually really recommend working with someone on this. Um, Caitlin Bebb is a really good dating coach. Also, my somatic therapist, Andrea Lee, is really good for stuff like this. And in the meantime, if you're finding it hard to kind of like control your actions, which it is, like when you're white knuckling to control a certain behavior instead of getting to the root and fixing it, it's going to be really hard. But in the process of you getting to the root, it might be helpful to not put yourself in situations where you're like vulnerable to picking fights. And one of those often is um, drinking alcohol. So if you're finding that you're picking fights while drinking alcohol. I'm not saying you have to stop drinking for forever. I'm saying that until you get to the root of this and can heal it, it would be helpful to not drink. And also, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anything about your relationship and I don't really want to speak on it, but I think that like, I think you should be really honest about this with your partner, especially if you think this is someone that you have the potential to, like, you know, go the distance with, quote unquote. I would be like, hey, listen, like, I don't know why I'm picking these fights and I am, you know, doing my best to get to the root of this. I plan to, you know, like work with this person or try this or try this modality, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, I'm going to do my best to like not put myself in situations where, you know, I'm more likely to pick fights. But I also, I need you to understand that like, it might not be an overnight thing. It might take a while to get to the bottom of this. So like, please work with me. And I think if this is the right person for you, they will have patience. 
because like I will say I've dated a guy who like kind of gave me an ultimatum. He's like, if you ever pick a fight again, we're done. And I did pick a fight again and we were done. And it was like two times that I picked fights. And I can't really fault him for that, but I can also say that he just is not the right guy for me. Like the right guy for me, like is a little bit more understanding and flexible in that scenario. And I'm not saying your guy isn't the right guy for you. I have no idea. I don't know you. I don't know the relationship at all. I'm just saying like, be very, very honest about what's going on and like make him a part of the process so he can try to understand also. Um, Yeah. So yeah, that's what I have to say on that. Sending you so much love. Um, you know, as always, keep us updated. Okay, last question of the day, and it's a fun one. I've heard you talk about being celibate for seven years. How did you have sex after that? I'm just starting to date again since before COVID, and I'm terrified to have sex. Okay, number one thing. I would emphatically recommend being open about the fact that you haven't like been dating and haven't had sex. People are very understanding. When I first had sex again after seven years, I told that person that I hadn't had sex in seven years, um, like well before we had sex. So like he knew what was coming. Um, sex is not a show. It's a collaborative opportunity for fun. Um, so like, don't feel like, oh, I'm going to be bad at it. Like, it's not like that. It's not like, I don't think people are good or bad at sex in a vacuum. It's all about what two people are creating together. Um, I would be really present and like practice being present with yourself, like just like have a meditation practice or something I've been doing lately is I just set an intention to be really present when I wash my hands because that's a really quick activity that I do multiple times a day. And it's been training me to be more present in other times in life. So when you are actually getting physical with someone, try to be as present as possible and like not be in your head. And again, the way that I would try that is by practice being present in other scenarios. Um, you know, wait until you find someone that you're actually comfortable with. Um, take your time both, you know, in getting intimate with this person, but also in the actual sexual experience. It's not a race to come. It's about exploring each other's bodies. Don't put pressure on yourself to finish nor the other person. Just treat every sexual encounter as an opportunity to like explore each other's bodies and learn more about each other. And also, um, I would recommend masturbating so you know what feels good to you, so you know what to replicate. But yeah, just as much as possible, try to get out of your head and into your body and just tune into like what physical sensations you're feeling in your body and to like be present with that person. And that may take some practice. So yeah, but don't overthink it. I mean, people are super like understanding about these things and like I said, it's not a performance. It's not, it's not like, uh, you know, playing chess. Like you don't like the, you, it's, you don't have to like be good at it. It's, it's a collaborative thing. So yeah, have fun. I mean, sex should be fun. So yeah, just have fun with it. And like, truly it'll be fine. Thank you for everyone who submitted questions. Thank you for everyone who listened. If you ever have questions you want to submit, you can DM them to at blush pod. You can submit them anonymously through the website. It's theblushpod.com. I think it's slash connect for anonymous submissions, but you should be able to find it. It's also available via the link in bio of um, the Blush Pod Instagram. You can email theblushpod at gmail.com and you can also leave voicemails via the link in the show notes. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for listening. If any of this resonated, please share it with people. Yada, yada, rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. Love you guys. Talk to you next week. Bye.